Jewish audio on Kaban.org. Rambam Mishnah Torah, Perik Shlishi, of the laws of Shemitah, the Yobel, the sabbatical year, and the Jubilee year, chapter 3. Now, we learned earlier in chapter 1 that there is a biblical mitzvah, there are in fact many biblical mitzvahs, commanding us in one form or another to have the land lie fallow once every seven years, called the sabbatical year, and then on the 50th year, called the jubilee year. We learn that from a biblical or scriptural law perspective, the major prohibitions are planting, trimming the tops of the trees, harvesting grain, and harvesting fruits. Rabbinically, there are many other prohibitions, and we covered many of those prohibitions, lest they lead, or because they are similar, or because they look like, or because one might think that the person is preparing to, or growing produce, or plowing, or harvesting, or preparing the field for the sabbatical year. And now the Rambam goes on to say in chapter 3, Halacha Aleph, We go a step further, not only is it prohibited to work the land in the seventh or sabbatical year, but in the sixth year, shortly before the sabbatical year, it is prohibited to work the land 30 days leading up to the sabbatical year. So, more or less, from Rosh Chodesh Elul, from the beginning of Elul. This is Asura, this is forbidden, as the Rambam often says, even though it doesn't specifically say so in the Torah. But we know, it was taught by Hashem to Moshe on Mount Sinai, and this therefore has the strength of a biblical law, although not the technical application of a biblical law. Why would there be a problem of working the land before the sabbatical year? It's not the sabbatical year. What's the problem? Because obviously one is preparing the land for the sabbatical year. Otherwise, why are you working the land? Why are you plowing? We're talking about preparing the land. What are you preparing the land for? So 30 days before the sabbatical year kicks in, we should stop performing the labors that have to do with land preparation. That is halacha limoshe misinai, taught by Hashem to Moshe on Mount Sinai. This prohibition was in effect during the time the Holy Temple stood. That was the tradition. That when the Beis Hamigdor stood and the sabbatical year was in full force in every detail, then one could also not do any work 30 days before. Because our sages decreed, extended that prohibition, our sages extended that prohibition 
Not only should we not work the land 30 days before the sabbatical year, but in fact, we should not plow an orchard in the year before the sabbatical year, during the time the Beis Amigdor stood, after Shavuos. Shavuos is a festival that comes in May, June. What are you plowing the land for? When are you going to plant? When it, it's, it's almost a sabbatical year. So stop plowing Shavuos time. That's if it's an orchard where you grow trees. Ustay halavon, but a field where you grow grain even earlier. Ad ha-Pesach. You can only plow and work the land until Pesach. After Pesach, it appears you're going to preparing it for you're going to be preparing it for next year. Bear in mind that Pesach is six months before Rosh Hashanah, but that's the process of land work. You don't plant today and it grows tomorrow. That is when the Beis HaMikdash stood. But in the time when there was no Beis HaMikdash, then even our sages permitted one to work the land until Rosh Hashanah, as the original Torah law prescribes. So what we have is, by Torah law, you can work the land up to Rosh Hashanah of the sabbatical year. Halacha Lemoshe Misinai says, stop 30 days before, during the time of the Beis Hamikdash. Our sages added to that, that an orchard should not be worked or plowed after Shavuos, and a grain field should not be worked or plowed even after Pesach. So we have Pesach for grain, Shavuos for orchards, 30 days before Allah Sinai, when there's no Beisam Migdash, even the day before Rosh Hashanah. So now we need definitions. What is the meaning of an orchard? What is a field in which one grows trees? Define it. So he says, Wherever there are three trees growing in an area which is called a base saw, meaning it's large enough to, to grow, to plant and grow, a saw, a measure of grain. And we learned earlier, again and again, that that is an area, a field, 50 cubits by 50 cubits. In, today, in our language, 75 feet by 75 feet. If you have three trees in that area, then it's considered an orchard, a minimum of three trees. Meaning that you can plow it even after Pesach up to Shavuos. But if it's not an orchard, you can't plow it because it's only a grain field after Pesach. Now, what kind of trees are we talking about? Echad Ilon Srak, the Echad Ilon Machal, both non fruit trees. And fruit-bearing trees. Even if they belong to three different owners. This is how we measure whether we're allowed to plow and work it to Shavuos or not. What we do is we imagine as if these three trees, no matter what kind of trees they were, we imagine as if they were fig trees. 
Im ruuyin las is kikar devela shal shishimona. Assuming they were fig trees, if they would able to, if they would be able to produce dried figs of a weight up to sixty mona. A mona is approximately a pound. If this tree, had it been a fig tree, could produce dried figs up to sixty pounds, which means it's a tree, then. You have three of those. You can plow the entire field area of the 50 cubits by 50 cubits because of these three trees. And again, the way I understand it, what's going on here? What's going on here is the Torah doesn't want the trees to die. So they have to live. You need to do to them what you need to do to them in order that they should survive. Therefore, trees need sustenance, they need earth to suckle from. So the law is more lenient when it comes to a field with trees. And again, we don't care if they're actually producing fruit, if they're not producing fruit, but they have to be big enough to be able to produce fruit had they been fig trees. The who provided that if there's a distance between each tree, in order that the cattle could pass together with the implements of plowing, meaning that the trees are spread about. Because if they're not spread about, you don't have to plow a whole field for a couple of trees stuck in the corner. They have to be spread about. How much space do we need for the cattle and the plowing implements to pass through? So our sages say approximately four amas, which is approximately six feet. It takes six feet of clearing for the bull, for the cow, for the bull, uh, the, the donkey, to be able to schlep the plow in the lane between the trees. So that's the deal. The deal is, if there is a field which we're defining as an orchard. How do we define a field as an orchard? If it has at least three trees big enough, assuming they were fig trees, we don't care what kind of trees they are. If they were fig trees, they could have produced 60 pounds of figs each, and there was a lane big enough for the ox and his plow to move through, which is six feet, four amas, then we can plow the whole field because of these three, three trees. Because they need extra sustenance, we can plow it not only till Pesach, as it would be if there were no trees, but even to Shavuos. But Gimel, what if there were less than three trees for this area of 50 cubits by 50 cubits? Which means it's not an orchard. Or if they were three trees. And one tree alone is big enough to provide that 60 pounds of dried figs. Or the two are not. One or two can produce even 100 pounds of dried figs. And one is not big enough. We're not talking about the fact that it doesn't produce. Could even be a non-fruit tree. But it's not big enough. This is not considered an orchard. You have this humongous tree, then plow around it. But don't plow the whole field because of it. That's the key here. 
Can you plow the whole field, the whole orchard, because there are three trees? So we have a law. What's considered three trees? If there isn't, then we do what these trees need. What does an individual tree need? It needs a radius of space where the person picking the figs together with his basket can stand. That's how much you can plow. What if it produced from three trees? What if it had three trees to nine trees? Between three and nine, which means more than three and less than nine. These trees could produce 60 pounds of dried figs. Here we can plow the whole area of 50 cubits by 50 cubits because of them. Even though there are certain trees amongst the nine or eight or seven trees that are not big enough to produce these 60 pounds of dried figs, nevertheless, it's considered an orchard because it's a bunch of trees. What if there were, hey, this is five, as in Cinco de Mayo, five. What if there were five trees in this area of 50 cubits by 50 cubits or more? I'm sorry, if there were 10 trees. If there were 10 trees. I made a mistake. I shouldn't have said Cinco de Mayo. If there were 10 trees. That's twice. In this base of 50 by 50, whether they could produce or not, because it's 10 or more trees, you could take that whole field, that whole 50 cubits by 50 cubits, and plow it because there are 10 or more trees. What are we talking about? Through up to Shavuos. We don't have to stop. Pesach, we can continue up to Shavuos. What if there were 10 plantings or 10 saplings What's a planting? And what's a sapling? A young tree. A new tree. What if there were 10 saplings or 10 plantings spread within the area of 50 cubits by 50 cubits? What is special? What is special? What is unique about a sapling? A sapling is a young tree. It needs a lot of water. It hasn't yet taken hold. Here, the halacha permits us to Plow that whole area, not only until Shavuos, but even until Rosh Hashanah. Wow. Why? Hashem taught it to Moshe at Mount Sinai. We don't want the saplings to die. It's the sixth year, and we allow the saplings to be treated in a gentle way, even to plow, clean up the area, even until Rosh Hashanah. What if they were made? What if they were planted in one row or in a semicircle? And I have in the book I'm using here, plantings in a semicircle, a diagram. You have it? No. Well, it's just a semicircle of trees. Here, it's not a bunch of trees spread about in the area where we can call it an orchard. It's one row of trees. Therefore, we just do what it needs 
immediately near the tree. And here he says that if there are squash plants together with the plantings, they can be counted in the sum of ten plantings. Because these Greek squash plants, they're large like a tree, and they have to have extra care. Vav. No, Zayin, seven, Ezehu, or what is considered a sapling? What's considered a young tree? Zeha'ilanakotan, a small tree. As long as it's referred to as a sapling. When people stop calling it a sapling and they start calling it a tree, then it's not a sapling anymore. And he brings down here in the notes that this is Rabbi Akiva's opinion. Others maintain that it has the status until three years. Some say even seven years. Because trees, you know, they grow in slowly. Ches eight, Elon a tree, Shenikzas, which was cut down, and a stump was left. Vehetzi Khalifin, and then the stump produced another replacement tree. So the big question is, is the new tree a sapling, or is it a tree? Because it grew from the stump. So it depends how high the stump was from the earth, from the ground. If the stump was a handbreadth or higher, then being that you have a handbreadth or more of stump, and whatever grows out of it is part of a tree, because it's a tree. It's at least a handbreadth or more of stump. But if it was trimmed down to a handbreadth or less, then it's considered a sapling. Because what's growing out of this tiny stump is a new tree. Now he says in 9, in test, all of the above, Bisman Hamigdash, applies during the time of the Beis Hamigdash. As we said, but nowadays, the halacha is much more lenient, much more liberal. We may work the ground in the sixth year, Adre Shashona, until Rosh Hashanah. Af, in fact, he now says, even Bisman Amigdash, in the time of the Holy Temple, Mutter, there were many things that were permissible to do in the sixth year. And here we have the list of things that were permissible, even during Holy Temple times, to do in the sixth year. Mutter Lesakel. We learned about this earlier. Removing stone. Stone removal was a big item back then. It's permissible to remove stones. Ulezabel, we learned earlier about the prohibitions of removing stones in the seventh year. But this is the sixth year. Permissible to remove stones. Ulezabel, Asodas, permissible to fertilize the fields, which we learned earlier is prohibited by rabbinic law in the seventh year, but this is the sixth year. Velader and Tuho, Hamikshois, Hamidlois, the zucchinis and the squash gardens, Obeis Hashlochin, and the lands, the fields, the gardens that need to be irrigated, that's Beis Hashlochin, the parched land which requires human irrigation. Ad Rosh Hashanah, we can do it literally, these things. Which things? Stone removal, fertilization, hoeing, 
waterings. Ad Rosh Hashanah until Rosh Hashanah. Oma'apkim, oma'ashnim, we can also do things we covered earlier. May not be done in the seventh year, and they are me'apkim, oh, oh, I'm sorry, oma'zablim, oma'forkim. I skipped. We can fertilize saplings, remove dried leaves, oma'apkim, oma'ashnim. Apply dust to them, apply smoke under them, umakarsmim, umizordim, umafaslim. Rip off stalks, trim their far spreading branches, and apply foul smelling matters to them to keep the insects away, as we learned earlier. We can call the exterminator to come in with the helicopter. We can put this stuff on them, this foul-smelling stuff. We can bind them. We can make shelters around them to protect them from the rain and the sun. And we can water them. We can apply oil to the unripened fruits and perforate them. There's a process that you do to fruit which is not yet ripe to keep it going in the right direction. All of these, call Avedis Elo, all of these labors, mutores are permissible. But Erev Shvius and the eve of Shvius, Ad Rosh Hashanah shall Shvius until the day of Rosh Hashanah of the sabbatical year, during the time, even during the time of the Beis Amigdash, says that Ambam, don't confuse them with what we learned in the last two chapters, that they are prohibited, because that was the seventh year. This is the sixth year. These are not actual labors of agriculture. These are preparatory preparations for growth. Yud, when unripened fruit from the sixth year actually enters into the seventh year. Or, the other side of the coin, unripened fruit of the seventh year, which went into the eighth year. We should not apply oil to them. We should not perforate them. And during the time of the Beis HaMikdash, one should not build steps at the entrance to the valleys where they grew things. In the eve of Shvius, after the rains have ceased, because what you're doing is readying it for the seventh year. Yudalaf 11, Afbismanazah, even nowadays, a night in Ilonis, we shouldn't plant trees. Vein Markivin, Vein Mavrichim, nor should we graft trees or extend vines. Erev Shvius, on the eve of the sabbatical year. Ela only, Kedeshitikle Tanatia, in order that the sapling should take root. But that's it. Vetisha Acharaklito, we want the sapling to take root and take hold. All of this can only be done if it happens 30 days before Rosh Hashanah, of the seventh year. What do we mean by taking hold? We actually learned this extensively when we talked about the fiscal years of trees. The average growth to take hold, to take root, is two weeks. So we actually need 30 days plus 14 days. 44 days, we learned that two ba'av, chamishasar ba'av, which is 45 days before Rosh Hashanah, that's the cutoff date. 
Anything that happened by Chamishosar Ba'av is fine. Because it has 44 days in which to take root. As the 30 plus the 14. But if it's the 16th above, it's a problem. And this would be forbidden always because of what will people say when they see because they'll think that these new trees were planted in the sabbatical year if they didn't have a chance to take root well before the sabbatical year. Perhaps the onlooker will say, they were planted in the seventh year. This is the idea. We talked about this earlier. Maris ayin, of what the eye appears, what the eye thinks it is. So therefore, practically speaking, if somebody plants a sapling, or somebody extends a market or he grafts at a shvius. On the eve of Shvius, Kedim Rosh Hashanah, before Rosh Hashanah, Be'arbov, Arboim Yoyim, at least 44 days before, which is again the cutoff date of the 15th. If he does it the 16th, 15th, 16th of Av, Yekayim, then he can leave it. But Pachas Mikain, if it's less than that, Yaakar, he should uproot it. So again, he needs to go 44 days before, if it's in 44 days before and it took hold, fine. If not, that means that people are going to say, you planted a brand new tree in the sabbatical year. Houston, we got a problem. What if he did not uproot it? Even though we say he shouldn't do it, but the fruits are still permissible because, let's face it, this was planted in the sixth year, not in the seventh year. Now, when we say he should uproot it earlier, we amaze, or if he died before he uproots it, and now his heirs are in the field, what do they have to do? The heir has to uproot it. End of chapter 3. Rambam, Mishneh Torah, Hilcha the laws of the sabbatical and jubilee years. Perek Revi'i, chapter 4. There's an interesting verse in the verses which deal with Shemitah. And that verse tells us, Eis sfiach k'tzircha lo siktsar. You should not reap the sfiach. What sfiach? Aftergrowth of your harvest. The stuff that kind of grows on its own, even that should not be reaped. So he says now in Halacha Aleph, Kol Shatetzi Ha'aretz Bishon anything the land will produce in the sabbatical or seventh year. How does earth produce stuff? It has to come from someplace. Bein min hazer It's possible whether seed that seeds fell on the earth before the sabbatical year. Or it's possible that there were roots from plants which were already harvested, which produced again. That happens too. Or sometimes there are plants, vegetables that grow on their own. And this could happen in the sabbatical year. Without seed, 
something the earth produces because of what's in the earth, by strict biblical law, all of this may be consumed. As it says, the Torah is not against eating the produce of the sabbatical year. It says, the sabbatical produce of the earth shall be to you to eat. You could eat it, you and your servants and your animals and your wild animals. Everyone should have equal pasqual access. So eating is not the problem. The only issue is, as we will learn, I believe, in the next chapter is, everything in the sabbatical year must be treated as a very holy object because it's godly. There's what we call kiddushat shvi, is the sanctity of the sabbatical year. And we'll talk about that. But the eating in and of itself is not an issue. Technically, even when a field was plowed in the sabbatical year, and therefore it grew, theoretically, its produce should be permissible, because the produce is not the issue. And this is the meaning of the verse. A you should not reap the aftergrowth of the harvest, meaning the reaping is the issue, more than the eating. That when one reaps harvest of the sabbatical year, he should not reap it, he should not harvest it, in the same style as he does all year round. You have to change that commercial style of harvesting and reaping. It has to be a haphazard Reaping and harvesting. It has to be not a professional reaping and harvesting. It has to be something that a, a lay person will do, so to speak. Or we have to, the professional has to act like a lay person. But if he reaps, as reapers do, with the fancy tools and, and, and so on and so forth, like there's actually a possibility for biblical lashes. Because that's the prohibition. Not to commercially reap on the sabbatical year. Again, for example, what's an example of something which could possibly lead to biblical ashes? Where he harvested the entire field, the Hamid Kri, and he set up a grain heap, the Dosh Babokar, and he brought in cattle, oxen, and 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 and. and Threshed it, or machinery, and threshed it. Or he harvested for the sake of benefiting the earth. Because there is a way of harvesting which prepares the earth. Because the idea, the whole idea of produce, of farming, is that you're more interested in the future than you are in the present. You're talking about doing everything for regeneration purposes. Kamesha Biarno, as we explained, these are the concerns. Ella, what should one do in the sabbatical year? There's no problem with plucking fruit, with plucking produce. Ketzer ma'akmat, he reaps it little by little, poquito, poquito, the beats it and he eats it, 
No problem. That's biblically. That's midiraisa from the Torah law. However, the rabbis, our sages, always add decrees. Because they see where people are messing up, and they build a fence around this. According to rabbinic decree, anything that grows on its own is forbidden to eat. Why? What's so terrible? Why did our sages do this? The answer, my friend, is blowing in the wind. Because, because there were many transgressors. There were many sinners. Our sages were concerned that the farmer should not go and plant. Not telling anybody anything. And he'll plant grains, vikitnias, and beans, vizarene, and garden seeds. He's going to do it surreptitiously. In the middle of the night. And when it grows, and people will say, Hey, you're a lucky guy. How did this happen? He'll say, This is an aftergrowth. I don't know. I don't know. Therefore, our sages were concerned that, you know, we, we said earlier that people are chashudim al that the average human being is suspect, that he can't control himself. Because the sabbatical year observance is such a tough mitzvah. I guess because they saw so much cheating that they made a decree after growth. No good. Don't touch it. We learn from here that we can't eat from the harvest of Shvius. Only fruit of the trees, and the herbs, which most people do not plant. Unusual stuff. Weird stuff. Like rue, and amaranth, and the like. These are various herbs. Both of these are fragrant herbs. But vegetables... Which is the mode of most people. You plant vegetables in the garden. And various grains. And various legumes. Beans. Anything that grows is rabbinically forbidden. And people who gather them. There could be the application of rabbinic lashing. The exception would be when Sfichim, when the aftergrowth comes up in an underdeveloped field, you have a field that's not really producing anything. Or stay near in a field that you just plowed, the last thing that you want in a field that you just plow is that stuff is growing. Because it's contrary to the intent. Or stay kerem, the last thing you want in a vineyard is for vegetables to grow, because as we learned at great length, that's called tilayim, that's mixed breed. That could make the whole vineyard non-kosher. And in a field where crops have been sown, you don't want stuff growing. It's like you have a beautiful garden and all of a sudden these weeds are coming. So here, because this is undesirable and no one would intentionally do that, then in that case, why not eat it? 
Why didn't our, the same sages make a decree against this? Because it's abnormal for a person to plant these areas. Stay bored and underdeveloped field and other nifleshom. Who goes there? Stay near in a plowed field. A person wants it to be plowed and clean. Stay carem in a vineyard. Nobody wants to prohibit their vineyard by crossbreeding. Something that grows in a vineyard is a pro- could be a problem. Oh, stay zera in a field of seed. Hasvichem apsidin. So where you just planted, the aftergrowth ruins it. So also straw of the sabbatical year. Mutabachalmakim is permissible everywhere. Our sages did not issue this decree, I guess, across the board. The common denominator is where no one would intentionally do it. Because we're concerned that people intentionally did it. Now we move right along when the aftergrowth of the sabbatical year doesn't come out, doesn't come forth until after the sabbatical year, but it is sabbatical year growth. It's forbidden to eat. We shouldn't even pluck it by hand. We can do it normally. And an animal can... Go ahead and pasture normally. However, we shouldn't just go and pluck it. So this is the post shvius aftergrowth. How long into the new year calendar is the aftergrowth of the sabbatical year prohibited into the eighth year? The answer is from Rosh Hashanah, which is the beginning of year eight, until Hanukkah, from September through December. And from Hanukkah and onward, it's permissible. Because by then, nothing really substantial is left from the old produce. What if a person plants the aftergrowth of the sabbatical year? In other words, he has stuff that grew, and he plants this stuff now. There's no reason he can't eat the produce which grows from this planting of the aftergrowth. And here we get into some details. Many of these details mirror earlier details we studied in various other laws. What if onions of the sabbatical year come forth in the eighth year? They are permitted if enough time for produce of that size went by. And if not, it's forbidden. So it depends how deep into the eighth year. So also other produce. We can't purchase them right after the sabbatical year until enough time goes by to create produce of that size of eighth year produce. Also, habakir huto ha'ofil. This is sort of poetic. When the new crop comes in, the old crop is also permitted. The, the prohibition falls off the old crop when the new crop in its same bounty, in its same size, same maturity is there. But it is permissible to purchase garden vegetables in the eighth year immediately. Garden vegetables is something that we always consider their maturity time from the plucking, as we learned earlier. 
When can a person purchase wild onions in the eighth year? The answer is when the new produce exceeds the old produce, when there's more new wild onions than old wild onions. The rule is that on the first day of Tisha, Rosh Hashanah, the Shemitah is the new year for, it's the fiscal new year, for sabbatical years and jubilee years. So, as the Mishnah says, there are four Rosh Hashanahs. We learned that the new year for trees, for example, is the 15th of Shvat. The new year for the jubilee, the sabbatical and jubilee year, is the regular Rosh Hashanah. So now comes a whole different scope of halacha. What if you have sixth year produce? Produce of the sixth year, which is fine, which have crossed over into the seventh year. They're still growing. Is it sixth year produce or is it seventh year produce? See, you have various issues in this subject matter. You have seven, eight which we just covered, then there's 6-7. The produce of the sixth year that has not yet been harvested. And now it's the seventh year. And if it was grains or beans or fruits from trees, and the period of tithing came before Rosh Hashanah, which means, as we learned earlier, what is the maturity of Enos HaMaisris? They are more than one-third mature. That's the litmus test. Enos HaMaisris is more than one-third mature. Then they are permissible. Wait a minute. You're gathering them in the sabbatical year? Yeah, but they were more than one-third mature in the previous year. It's not seven-year produce. It's six-year produce. They must be treated like six-year produce for all purposes, even though you're harvesting them in the seventh year. However, if they didn't come to the maturity stage of when tithing obligations kick in, in English, if they were not more than one-third mature before Rosh Hashanah of the seventh year came, then no matter what, they are like the produce of the sabbatical year. Why? Because that's the litmus test. More than a third or less than a third? And this was very common, a very common theme throughout in our earlier laws of tithing and many other laws. Yud grains and beans, asurim would would be forbidden to eat mishum svichim, as svichim are. And fruits of the trees may be eaten, provided you maintain the sanctity of the sabbatical year. And as I pointed out earlier, and I will point out again, we will learn lots of details about what the sanctity of the sabbatical year means. But I can just share with you that I was in Israel during a sabbatical year. Somebody gave me a plum. And I sat down and I ate the plum in somebody's house and then I took the pit and I was about to throw it in the garbage. And they started screaming, ah, Shviz! 
I said, what are, you, what are you yelling at me for? It's a pit. He says, no, this is of the sabbatical year. It's holy. We have a special bag where we put the pits of the fruits of the sabbatical year. This has to be treated as holy. You can't put it in the garbage. So I always remember, Shviyas, no basura. That's the rule. You have to put it in a Shviyas bag. And we're going to learn about this. So you can eat the fruits, but they have to maintain the sanctity of the sabbatical year. Yudalev, I'm still traumatized from that yelling. I'm in therapy. Yudalev, ho'erez v'hadeichen v'haprogim v'hashumshimim ofel ha'mitzri shezro'i lezera. When millet, when rice, millet, poppy seeds, sesame seeds, Egyptian beans are all planted to produce seeds. Then you see when it's finished, because it's for the seed purposes. If it's finished, ripe, before Rosh Hashanah, in other words, complete. Then they are permitted to be used in the sabbatical year like any other six-year produce. But if they become completed, mature. After Rosh Hashanah, so now it's the seventh year. Even though they took root. In the sixth year, this is considered after growth, forbidden by rabbinic law. Yud base hayorak, vegetables, generally speaking, as we've learned earlier, bishas likitose. Generally speaking, the rule of vegetables are when you pick it, that's its maturity moment. Vegetables is a quick growing process, and when you pick it, that's the maturity moment. Whereas, the other end of that spectrum would be the ha'esrig, an esrig, and an esrig is a unique type of fruit. The Torah says, pre-eats hadar, the fruit of a beautiful tree, say our sages, hadar bi'ilonai mishona l'shona. The esrig lives on the tree a whole year. It's, a whole, it's an all-year fruit. So, afilo ha'ya kapal k'edim rosh hashona benasa k'kikar b'shviyiz, there's a very interesting law when it comes to Esther. Even if it was only the size, kapul, even if it was only the size of a bean before Rosh Hashanah of the sabbatical year, which means as the sabbatical year entered, the Esther was on the tree. It was the size of a bean. A bean is not very big. Even a big bean is not very big. And then in the sabbatical year, it grew and grew and grew. How big was it? Like like a loaf of bread, that's how big it was. Massive. From the perspective of, is it obligated for tithing or not? Because sabbatical year produce is not obligated for tithing. Sixth year produce is obligated for tithing. This is obligated for tithing. It's considered a sixth year fruit. Katika Bashish is the flip side is even if it was as big as a loaf of bread in the sixth year, but being that it was picked in the sabbatical year, it must be treated like sabbatical year produce. However, tithes is still given. So the asterisk has dual definition. So also in general, produce of the sabbatical year that pushed into the eighth year. 
we're talking about grains or beans or trees. You follow the season of tithing. Like we learned earlier. Many, many details. And when rice, millet, poppy seeds, sesame seeds, Egyptian beans are planted, as mentioned above, not to eat them, but to produce seeds. That's a different kind of planting. Achar gemar haperi, after it's done, by Yorick, then the, the cutoff time is when it's finished. By Yorick and vegetables, achar the ketosi always follows the picking time. Yudalat pulam, which is his order of Zerah Bashishis. Benigma period, kedem, reisha, shona, shoshvius. Egyptian beans, when they were planted for seeds in the sixth year, and the produce was completed before Roshishona of the sabbatical year. Its vegetable and its seeds are both permitted in the seventh year. But if it was planted not for seeds, but for vegetables, the vegetable and the seed are both also forbidden. Like the aftergrowth of the sabbatical year. So also if he planted them for both purposes. What if he transgressed, he planted in the seventh year. Wrong. But he did it anyway. And it came forth in the eighth year. If his intention was for the seeds, then both its seed and the vegetable are forbidden like all other aftergrowth. But if he planted it for the vegetable, you know what? Being that it was actually picked in the eighth year, whether it's the vegetable or the seed, they're both permissible. If he planted it for both in the seventh year, he shouldn't have, but he did anyway. Then it's considered an aftergrowth and forbidden. That's the seed. But the vegetable which comes out in the eighth year is permissible. Since something called which he translates here as white figs, by the way, many of these words have different translations. And here in the notes, he'll always say which translation he relies upon before he tells us that Meshuach is white figs. For example, here he says our translation is based upon the Rambam's commentary to the Mishnah, which is a very common source for the Rambam Mishnah Torah. We go back to what he said in the Mishnah, because much of these laws, especially agricultural laws, much of Rambam in general, but especially agricultural laws, are based on the Mishnah, because the Mishnah is very detailed and very specific. So, white figs, they actually take three years until their growth is completed. If they reach the stage when ties are required to be separated. What is that stage? We learned earlier, a third or more mature. Before the new year of the eighth year, they're eaten in the second year. Of the seven as sabbatical years. So, this is a unique law. We learned earlier about onions that do not produce scallions. They're called sarisim. They're called eunuch onions. Because they can't produce scallions. And Egyptian beans. We had a parallel law to this earlier. Where they withheld water from them 30 days before Rosh Hashanah. So, it's not actually growing from the new growth, because there was no water, you need water to grow. Vegetables need water to grow. Or, 
This was an irrigation field where you need constant irrigation. And water was withheld for three periods. Again, we learned this earlier. Then this can be considered from the sixth year produce because it had no water. But less than that, they will be considered like the aftergrowth of the seventh year. Gourd plants, which were maintained in the ground to produce seed. If they became hard before Rosh Hashanah and were unfit for human consumption, then you can hold on to them in the sabbatical year. Shame be paid a shishis, because being that they became hard, they are considered six-year produce. And if not, if they didn't mature to that extent, then they are forbidden like the aftergrowth of the sabbatical year. So also, all vegetables that became hard before Rosh Hashanah, may be kept in the sabbatical year, but if they were still tender and soft, also the Kaimim, they're still considered aftergrowth. We do not require a person to uproot the wild onions, but they can remain in the ground the way they are. If they sprouted, after the seventh year, into the eighth year, fine. Similarly speaking, one is not required to uproot an artichoke plant. All that's necessary is to cut off its leaves, I and mean, if it grows again in the eighth year, it is permissible. Again, he says here, our translation is taken from Rab Kapach's notes to the Rambam, and uh, he gives various texts to support his translation that these, this means artichoke. Yutes luf shaleref shvi is wild onion growth of the sixth year. And regular onions shaleref shvi is hakitzeinim upua shenigmaru shvi is madar which completed their growth before the sabbatical year. That's M-A-D-D-E-R, mother, a plant which produces a powerful red dye. I lost my place here. Uh, One may uproot them in the sabbatical year with metal hatchets, because that's what it took. And this is not considered forbidden working of the ground, although using metal hatchets would overturn the earth like plowing. It's not considered as tilling the land because one's intent is to harvest this produce, which has to be harvested in this way. What if onions, rain fell upon them in the sabbatical year and they sprouted? As long as their leaves are green, they're permissible. But if they blacken, then it's as if they were planted in the earth. And this is forbidden for aftergrowth. In any event, the onions themselves are permissible. 21 bottles when an onion was uprooted in the sabbatical year, replanted in the eighth year, and it grew more in the eighth year than in the seventh year, being that it grew more, 
now than earlier, it's all permissible. The rationale is that since prohibition of the sabbatical year comes about via the earth, this can be removed via the earth, so increasing its size in the eighth year in the earth allows us to remove it. Now we come to a general law, segueing to the next section. Produce that a tree produced in the sabbatical year may not be reaped in the same manner that one reaps all year round. As it says, it says that the grapes you had designated, you shall not gather. Meaning, you don't gather the regular way. But if he reaps grapes to improve the vine, not for the grapes, but for the trimming of the vine, or he reaps in the ordinary manner, like this could actually be a prohibition, which can result in the biblical lashes. Because this is very serious, because he's working the earth. So what should he do? How do you reap? He says, The answer is different than ordinarily. Figs of the sabbatical year. And should not be set out to dry in a place where they usually set out to dry. You know the big dried figs industry? There's a whole process of how you dry the figs. You can dry them in a room, in an unused house, no problem. Because who, who would do that ordinarily? You have to change the method. Another example, we should not crush grapes in a vat. Where do we usually crush grapes? In a vat. But he can crush it in an eating trough. may not produce olives in a press, because that's where you usually produce oil. But he can sort of like hand press them in a mini uh, press. And he can actually grind them in the oil press and place them in a small press. The same applies across the board. Any change that could be made should be implemented. Segwaying now to the next law. 24. Mitzvah say it is a positive commandment, to divest oneself of ownership of everything that the earth produces in the sabbatical year. Which means, you have to say it's not uniquely mine, it's everybody's. And that's a key element of the mitzvah. Shanema v'hashviyas, the seventh year, tishmeteno unetashto, you shall leave it untended and unharvested, you have to divest yourself. You got to say, it's not only mine. V'chol hanayol karme, therefore, anyone who locks and bolts his vineyard, a sog sodeo b'shviyas, or he fences off, his field in the sabbatical year, not allowing strangers in. 
Bito mitzvah saseh, he nullifies a positive command. So also if he gathered his entire crop of produce and brought it into his house, it's a problem. Houston, we got a problem. Ella, what should he do? Yafkir hakel, he should declare everything as public property. Yad hakel shavu b'chomakim, giving everyone equal access. Shenamar, as it says, v'yochlu evyeinei amecha, even the poor of your people shall eat. Now it doesn't mean that he can't bring anything into his pantry, into his refrigerator. There's no reason he can't bring something, some of it, into his house. Like anybody else would take a bunch of stuff from public domain. For example, ordinarily he would bring in a hundred pitchers of oil, a thousand, a million. Here, he brings in five pitchers of oil, five jugs of oil. Fifteen uh, bottles of wine, jugs of wine, or whatever, but not the whole crop. What if he brought more? Mutter, it's still permissible as long as he doesn't lock down. It's the lockdown that's forbidden. Now, many of the above agricultural laws, remember, we're winding down. This is the last section of a big book of agricultural laws. Many of the agricultural laws, we said, is it only in Israel? Is it also in the diaspora? So here comes this question. Shviyas, the sabbatical year, is only observed in the land of Israel. That's it. Shanamar, as it says specifically in the beginning of the portion of Bahar, ki when you will come to the land when you enter Israel, the Gamer, etc. But it is observed both during the time of the Holy Temple and not during the time of the Holy Temple. Shvius is observed to some extent today as well, even though we have no Holy Temple. Now the question is, define Israel for me, which we've done again and again in these laws. This is just a repetition of what we learned earlier. So the answer is when Ezra's Aliyah, when the Jewish people returned from Babylon, anything that they took possession of up to the point of Ksiv, up to the area of Ksiv, Osir Baveda is forbidden to work in the sabbatical year because that's the given that the second commonwealth established the boundaries which we follow halachically today. All the aftergrowth in that geographical area are forbidden to eat. However, any other areas of Israel where the Jews who came up from Egypt with Moses, with, with Moses and with Joshua, they took possession of, but Ezra did not. Which is from Gziv until the river of Egypt, until the Umanum mountains, a mountain range in northern Lebanon. Even though it's forbidden to work the land in the sabbatical year, but there are more leniencies. The aftergrowth is permissible. 
so that there is a leniency. What about past the river, past Amona, that's not even considered Israel at all. And the sabbatical year is permitted to be worked in. Chavzai in Syria, what about Syria? Syria was almost like a territory of Israel for many years. And our sages instituted some observances in Syria because of its close proximity. Even though there's no biblical observance of the sabbatical year in Syria. They decreed upon that it should be forbidden to work the ground in Syria just like Israel. Why? We just said there's no prohibition. What's the problem? This is confusing. I'm glad you asked. Because our sages wanted to dissuade Jews from abandoning Israel in the sabbatical year. The sabbatical year, there'll be a mass migration to Syria. So they said, very nice, it's permissible, but we decree, no. Which stopped the mass migration. But the more distant lands such as Ammon and Moab, which are the more distant areas of Jordan, or Mitzrayim and Egypt, Shinar and Babylon, even though rabbinically the custom of tithing was introduced, even rabbinically the sabbatical year was not introduced, and it's kind of too far away to be concerned with a mass migration. What about Eber Hayarden, Transjordan? You know, Israel was both sides of the Jordan. Today there's a lot of debate whether the West Bank is part of the Israel, actual integral Israel or not. Of course the West Bank is. The question is the East Bank, which is today Jordan. Biblically, both sides of the Jordan. However, the East Bank didn't have the sanctity of Israel. It had a second tier of sanctity. So this is what we're learning about in 28. Eber Ayard and Transjordan. Shviyas Nehegis Bambadivrayim. There's only sabbatical year practiced by rabbinic decree. Not biblically. Because biblically it's on the other side of the Jordan River. What about the aftergrowth of Syria? Again, aftergrowth, we learned earlier, is a rabbinic prohibition. is permissible to eat. Because you don't make a rabbinic prohibition on a rabbinic prohibition. In fact, these lands of Syria and Transjordan should not be more strict than Israel proper, which was not reconquered or reliberated by Ezra. Chavtes, finally the last two closing laws. We segue to the next subject. Eved what if a non-Jew, Shekona Karka, who purchased land beyond Israel? in the land of Israel. And he planted it in the sabbatical year. What's the deal? Does a non-Jew have to observe the sabbatical year in Israel as well? The answer is no. We may, we are permitted to eat of the fruit, to buy of the fruit. The only reason our sages say you can't use stuff that grew in the sabbatical year, such as aftergrowth or other stuff, because we're afraid people would plant and then say it grew by itself. 
But the Gentiles not commanded to observe Shemitah to begin with. So the whole logic doesn't apply. DNA does not apply. And finally, the closing paragraph of chapter 4, this is a very important law, which talks about the integrity of the boundaries and borders of Israel, security. The cities of Israel, which are near the border, border cities, we must put real security people there, trustworthy people, because we're concerned that people from other cultures and other countries will come and they'll just plunder the produce of the sabbatical year. And this is a border city. And there are other issues. So therefore, we have to be very careful with boundary, with border communities to make sure we have the appropriate security so that the spirit of the sabbatical year is not transgressed. End of chapter 4. Rambam. Mishnah Torah. Hilchais Shemitah Yovel, the laws of the sabbatical year and the jubilee year. Pedic Hamishi, chapter 5. This is a very interesting and important chapter discussing the fact that the produce of the sabbatical year is not only prohibited to privatize, one may not make it one's own produce, but it has to be open to everyone. One must renounce ownership of one's produce. But there's another dimension to it, and that is that the sabbatical year produce is holy. It is sacred. Aleph 1, Pedesh is the produce of the sabbatical year. Nitnu were designated la to be used for a certain limited list of uses. Number one is produce is best consumed if it's eaten. Olishtia, or if it's something you can drink, drinking. Olishtia, if it's something that one can use for anointing, such as oils, then one should use it for anointing. Olishtia, if it's something fit for kindling, like kindling lamps, fuel, then one should use it for kindling. Velitzvia, and here we have another category. The above categories we've also had in the laws of Truma. But here we have another category which does not exist in the laws of Truma, and that is for dyeing purposes. Changing the color in a garment. We can use the natural herbs for dyeing as well. Where is the biblical source for this? In tradition, we were taught from the tradition, meaning the oral law, the verse in the beginning of the portion of Bahar says, all of its crops should be to eat. The word includes not only food, drink, and anointing, as is the case with the truma. In the case of the truma, kindling is only reserved for the impure truma. But pure truma should be eating, drinking, and anointing. But here, the word tiya includes afla hadlokas ner, even for the kindling of lights. 
candles, let's say an olive oil lamp, and to be able to die, because these activities also bring direct benefit to man. Now he goes into descri- and goes on to describe the details. What do we mean when we say for eating and for drinking? Spell it out. These laws are actually parallel truma. We should eat that which is normal to eat. And we should drink something which is normal to drink. Kedin Truma Masisheni, paralleling the laws of Truma and Second Tithe. Gimel Vilayashan Nepedes Mibiryasan. He should not change the natural function of produce. Kedarachena Mishana, but Truma, like one is instructed not to change the natural function in Truma Masisheni and Second Tithe. For example, over there we learned that one should not juice fruits and vegetables. The only acceptable juice we learned is wine and olive oil. Other than that, it's preferable to eat the apple as an apple rather than apple juice. That's what we learned earlier. Something that's normally eaten raw, you shouldn't cook it. Something that's usually eaten cooked, one should not eat it raw. We have to maximize the use of the particular produce. The fico, therefore, ain't shelkin ochle behemo. It's forbidden to cook animal food because animal food is not cooked. Let's say fodder for animals, uh, straw and so on. Similarly speaking, we don't trouble the person to eat spoiled food or moldy bread. Like we don't force a person to eat moldy truma or spoiled food of truma and meiser. Once it's spoiled, it's spoiled. Furthermore, one can think that there are two sacred items. One category of sacred items are sabbatical year foods. The other category of sacred items is truma. So let's take vegetables of the sabbatical year and cook it in olive oil of truma. Perfect shidduch. He says, no, bad idea. Why? Because truma has a whole set of laws of becoming disqualified and impure and so on because it's kohen food. We don't want to cause the sabbatical year food to become disqualified because of the truma. But if he ate, cooked a little bit and ate it right away, there's no problem. Because he didn't store it so that it can go wrong. Food designated for humans should not be fed to animals, to wild animals, and to birds, because... Obviously, animal food is cheaper than human food, and human food should be reserved for humans. Okay, so if you're saying that human fit food for human consumption, food fit for human consumption should not be fed to animals, what if the animal 
is hanging out under the fig tree and is about to eat a fig that dropped. Is it a problem? Of course, that fig could be eaten by a human. He ate it. Not a problem. We don't take it out of its mouth. It's fine. Shanamar, as it says, specifically with regard to the sabbatical year produce, and to your domestic animal, and to the wild animal that's in your land, all of its produce should be available to eat. So on the contrary, the Torah wishes the animal to be able to mosey on under the fig tree and have a fig. All we're saying is that in order to maintain the sanctity of the sabbatical year food, in general terms, whatever is fit for human consumption should be consumed by humans, because it's a higher form of consumption. What do we mean when we say that sabbatical year food could be used for anointing? That is to anoint with produce that's normally used for anointing. What is normally used for anointing? Oil. Olive oil. Other oils. But what's not normally used for anointing is wine or vinegar. So just because it says you're allowed to anoint, we don't mean you anoint yourself with wine or with vinegar. But oil is what one uses for smearing and anointing. And furthermore, one should not place fragrant herbs in oil, nor should one anoint himself or apply oils in a bathhouse. By placing the fragrant herbs in the oil, we remove it from the category of food because food oil is not fragrant and we make it smearing oil, so we're dropping down the level of sanctity, and by placing the oils upon ourselves in the bathhouse, we're doing something that is not of the highest level of holiness. Bathhouses is for baths. So therefore, don't actually take the holy oil of the sabbatical year into the bathhouse. But there's no reason he cannot anoint himself outside the bathhouse and then walk into the bathhouse. That's not a problem. Zion 7, Furthermore, oil of sabbatical year produce. You should not use it to seal an oven or a range. There are many uses for oils. If you have a new oven or a new range, you have to smear oil on it to seal it. That's not what sabbatical year produce oil should be used for. Furthermore, one should not apply it to a shoe or a sandal to soften the leather. It's very nice. It needs oil, but not holy oil. Not sabbatical year oil. We shouldn't intentionally apply such oil with impure hands. And this means hands that have not been watched, that have not been maintained, been maintained at the level of ritual purity, or in general, clean hands. However, if the oil falls on his flesh, he can even apply it onto his flesh with impure hands, 
Furthermore, he should not apply oil to his feet while the feet are in the sandal. Because again, that means he's oiling the sandal. But there's no reason he cannot smear oil on his foot. And then put on the sandal. Even though the oil is going to go on the sandal, no problem. And we actually learned this earlier. He can anoint his body with oil. And then he can roll around on a new mat. Why did he smear oil all over his body and rolling around on a mat? What kind of mishigas is this? The answer is he has a new mat and it needs oil. But you're not allowed to put holy oil on the mat. You're allowed to put it on your body and then you're allowed to roll around on the mat. Which is something similar to what we learned earlier with other holy oils. What do we mean when we say that sabbatical year oil can be used to kindle lights? Again, today we have electric lights. But back then, everything was candelabra, candle, and so on. You can actually kindle the lights being fed off the fuel of the sabbatical year. What if somebody sold the sabbatical year oil or produce? And he bought other oil. Sabbatical year produce can transfer to money. And then the money can transfer to produce. Like the second tithe. Or he exchanged oil for oil. Here they're both forbidden to be used for kindling. is because the money of the sabbatical year should not be used for kindling. It should be used for higher uses, such as eating and drinking and anointing. Furthermore, we should never place the oil directly into the fire because it's not what people do. Therefore, even though the halacha says you may kindle with oil, but you can only do so by putting it in the vessel and then kindling the wick. You do it with the candle. I remember as a, as a young man in, in uh, creating uh, barbecues and bonfires and camping situations, they warned us a hundred times, a thousand times, about shooting lighter fluid directly into the flames. It's very dangerous. He's talking about not even putting the oil directly into the flame. I'm not sure if there's a danger involved in olive oil, but maybe there is. But it's certainly, it's a level of disrespect. Nine, what do we mean when we say that we can use herbs or foods of the sabbatical year for dyeing, D-Y-E, like red dye number three? Litzviya ketzad, what is meant by license to use it? For dyeing, we're talking about produce which is ordinarily used as a dye. Even though this same produce can also be used for food, for human food. So if it can be used for human food, I can argue and say, don't die with it. Still, you can die, you can use it for a dye as well. But we should not use the dye for animal purposes of sabbatical year produce. 
even animal food should not be used for dying for animal purposes. Because the sanctity of the sabbatical year does not connect well with animal dying, D-Y-E, dying things for animal purposes, and therefore it should be used only for food for animals. Yud, what about, there are certain produce that are very good natural detergents for washing. You know, today we're very spoiled. We go to the supermarket and we buy detergent. But back then, detergent was a big challenge. So you have to use herbs and stuff. So he says, like borit and ahel, which are herbs, which are used for detergents. The sanctity of the sabbatical year does apply to them. And you can use it for detergent, because you can't eat it. The resting of the land will be for you. The word lachem, for you. For all of your needs. We may not wash regular produce of the sabbatical year. Nor should we use as a compress, make a compress out of it, but we should maximize its use. Whatever should be food, whatever could be food, should be food. The Sabbath of the land shall be to you, to eat. Not for bandages and compresses. And not for uh, to sprinkle and not to engorge, not, not to in, in, induce vomiting, regurgitation, what do they call it, ipecac. <laughs> Shouldn't be shviyas produce. Not for soaking flax, or the detergent. These are all usage, usages that usually are rooted in produce, but it's not preferred to use sabbatical year produce for these usages. Yudale, bottom line, the rule which was established in the produce of the sabbatical year is anything that is unique, anything that is distinguished and unique, that is suitable to be used for human food, like, for example, wheat, or figs, grapes, or similar, and we shouldn't make compresses and bandages, even for people. To you, to eat. Whatever is for you, should be for eating, not for medicinal purposes. For medicinal purposes, we should use other produce. This is a holy produce. But anything that's not uniquely suited for human food, for example, even soft thistles, thorns, brambles, because you can't eat them, they're prickly, they can kill you. 
These are materials which we can use for compresses and bandages and so on. But not for an animal. Because it's better to make a compress for a human than to give it to an animal. But anything that's not unique to either. And here he brings some examples. Uh, zatter, oregano, thyme. Here it depends on what the thought process of man is. If he thought about using any of these things as kindling wood, so it becomes like wood. If he thought about it for eating, it becomes like produce. For man and animal, you always apply the more severe application of human food. Where you don't make compresses out of them, and the severity of animal food, where is there a severity with animal food that's even more severe of an application than human food? We said it earlier. So we can't cook the animal food. Because human food is usually cooked, animal food is usually not cooked. And animal food is of a lower tier than human food. Some time ago in, in Los Angeles, there was a, a massive lawsuit where there was a, uh, somebody in the fire department who was being abusive to his employees, and he made them consume, he made them eat dog food. And, and there's a whole lawsuit. With, uh, they wanted, the guy wanted millions of dollars, and, and it was a whole racist case. Case in point, when you make humans eat dog food, it's not appropriate. Dog food is a lower level of food. It's for dogs. I hope we have no dogs listening, but that's the fact. Woof, woof. Okay. Next, Yud Beis 12. Muter limker ochle odom biochle behema. We may sell human food and animal food, and together of the funds which we receive from the sale of the combination of human and animal food, we can buy human food. Why? Because we're upgrading the animal food to human food. But we should not sell food fit for consumption for an animal to buy other animal food. Certainly we shouldn't sell human food to buy animal food. And if he did, or he exchanged human food for animal food, then it has the laws of human food where it should not be used as a compress. The next item on the agenda... Affecting sabbatical year produce, pay the shviyas, sabbatical year produce, ain metzianesim mehaoris lechutzlaris, may not be brought out from Israel to outside of Israel, to the diaspora. Ba'afilo, even to the very close adjacent country of Syria. Syria, Syria is very close to Israel. We may not even take sabbatical year produce and take it for our picnic as we go to have dinner in Syria. We should not intentionally feed this holy food to someone who is not obligated with the sanctity of the sabbatical food, and that is a fellow Jew 
in general terms, non-Jews are fed along with Jews. It's not a problem. But here, the holy food of the sabbatical year should only be fed to someone who has the mitzvah of holiness of the sabbatical year. Or an employee that doesn't have the mitzvah of the sabbatical year. But if he was a weekly employee, he's employed a whole week, or he's an annual employee, or a monthly employee, or he's any kind of employee, but he promised him to feed him meals, then you can't distinguish, you shouldn't distinguish. He becomes like a member of the family, whether he's a Jew or not. And you have to feed him. We may feed a guest the produce of the sabbatical year. But in general, we're learning here that the spirit is that we have to maintain sanctity. He brings down here that commentaries say that all of the above refers even if somebody has a non-Jewish guest who's not obligated in Shvius, he's a guest, you can feed him Shvius food as well because of the mitzvah of treating a guest properly. Now he says, and here we approach a whole different arena, sabbatical year food is not supposed to be owned by us. We're supposed to just take poquito, poquito. So what if somebody divorced his wife and he has to pay her the ketuba money? And all he has is sabbatical year produce. They can't have the wife allocated sabbatical year produce from the husband. Why? What's wrong with that? It's food, and he owes it to her. Because this would be equal to somebody repaying a debt from sabbatical year food. Sabbatical year food is barely my food. I can't pay debts with it. But there's no reason a woman should not be sustained with the sabbatical year produce of her husband. On the contrary. But paying the ksuba is like paying a debt with which one should not use sabbatical year produce for. Furthermore, because of the sanctity of sabbatical year food, we do not harvest the produce when it's not yet ripe. It's disrespectful. We have to make sure that it's ripe enough to harvest. And we've learned again and again and again, what's the cutoff? A minimum of one-third mature. Shanamar, as it says, you shall consume, you shall eat as tuasa its produce. It may not be eaten until it becomes produce. One-third or more mature. However, one may just take a little taste, a little snack in the field, even when the produce is still underdeveloped. Like he eats a little taste of underdeveloped fruit or produce in a regular year. When it, we're not talking about harvesting, we're talking about having a bite. Furthermore, one should not bring the produce into one's home until it reaches the stage when the obligation to separate tithes takes effect, which means one-third. Only then may he bring some of the produce into his house. 
When is it permissible to eat produce of the tree, fruits of the tree in the field in the sabbatical year? When are fruits of trees ripe enough? When it comes to underdeveloped figs, what's the earliest moment one can partake of sabbatical year underdeveloped figs? Not to disrespect them. The answer is when they become shiny, the surface becomes shiny, he can eat his bread with them in the field. Similar laws apply to similar produce. Underdeveloped grapes, which are called baser. When fluid or sap flows from them, they may be eaten in the field. And all similar applications. Hazesim olives. When is the earliest one could snack on olives of the sabbatical year without disrespecting it? Not until the measure of a quarter of a lug, which is called a revius, of oil can be produced from them, then one can break them open. In other words, when a saw of olives can produce a revius of oil, then we can break them open and snack on them in the fields. Which means it has to have a certain level of maturity where it can give off a lot of liquid. Once they can produce half a lug, he may even crush them and smear oneself, anoint oneself with the oil in the field. If they're a third growth, he can bring them into his house. Because that's the cutoff time for tithing one third done. Yud Zion 17. It is permissible to cut down trees for wood. You know, again, nowadays, when do we use wood? You want to build a little fire in a fireplace, you use wood. But other than that, we have heating. But back then, there was no heating. Everything was wood. So we may chop down trees for wood in the sabbatical year. When? Before they bring fruits. But once the tree begins to produce fruits, he may not cut it. Because he's ruining the food. In general, we're not allowed to do that. How much more so in the sabbatical year? It says, For you, to eat, and not to ruin. But if it produced fruit, if the tree produced produce, and the Time came for the tithing, which is one third done. Then say he may cut it down. Why? Because it already produced what it had to. And you're allowed to pick the produce one third done. It'll ripen on its own. And therefore, this tree did, did its thing for the moment. And the sabbatical year law has been removed from it, no longer applies to it.
From when may we not cut down a tree in the sabbatical year? At what point is it that we should not cut it down? If you're talking about carobs or bucks or when a chain of carobs will be formed. If you're talking about grapes. Mi Sheigoru, when the fruit produces seeds, all other trees, when they start. I'm sorry. Bazesim, olives, Mi Sheyogetsu, when they bud, all other trees, when they produce underdeveloped fruit. That's the point when we should no longer cut it for firewood. Then Ketsines ha Kafneis Mashviyas, or Kafneis Mashviyas. We're not allowed to cut off underdeveloped clusters of dates in the sabbatical year, because we're causing the spoiling or ruining of a fruit. The main Darkem Leos says, Tomorim, Ella, Sheyetzitz, but if these clusters will never produce dates, merely buds, and it'll never go past the bud stage. Then we may cut off these clusters. We may not. This is a little bit of a tricky law. On the one hand, he says we may not use hay and straw of the sabbatical year for fire, for kindling. Why? It's a good kindling material. Because it's also fit for animal consumption. Animal consumption is a higher form used than kindling. However, we may use the waste product of olives and grapes grapes in the sabbatical year for fuel because they're not fit for any other purpose. Animals, I guess, can't eat those. Chav, the plot thickens, merchat, a bathhouse. Again, how do you, the big challenge with a bathhouse is how do you heat the bathhouse? What do you mean how you heat it? You put on the hot water. That's today. Shehuska, betevenu, bekasha, shviyas, which was heated with hay and straw of the sabbatical year. Is that a proper usage of the hay and straw? It is permitted to bathe there. Because one is benefiting from it even when he has to make payment. So it's actually a little bit of a business proposition here. It's paying somebody. And there's a big question. Can we do that? Because it's like selling sabbatical year merchandise. He's heating up the bathhouse and then charging for it. And others say that the prohibition of selling sabbatical year foods only applies to foods and not to hay and straw for heating bathhouses. That's okay. And that's why the Rambam says that. However, if this person is a VIP, what's the problem with a VIP? Also, it's forbidden. Why? Because we're afraid that they're going to mix other herbs into the kindling, so it's going to produce a fragrant scent because he wants azoints and azoints. 
And therefore, he's using the hay and the straw to cook uh, herbs. And that's an indirect benefit. He's diminishing the maximization of sabbatical year produce. There is another opinion that the rationale that an important person should not use it, he should not rely on this leniency, and he should be more stringent not to derive even such benefits from the produce of the sabbatical year, but he should find other stuff to heat it with. Chabes. No. Chab Aleph. We learned earlier when it comes to the laws of the sabbatical year that when there are types of shells and seeds that are permitted to non-kohanim even though it's truma. Why? Because it's like not food. And here we say that the holiness of the produce of the Shabbos year, of the sabbatical year, is not associated with these types of shells. Similar. Any shell or seed that would be permitted to a non-Kohen if it was truma, and Kedusha Shvius Chalalein the sanctity of the sabbatical year also does not apply. Barein keitz and we can treat it like wood. Ella imkain ruin litzvia unless if these shells and if these seeds can be used for dyeing, it's an appropriate produce for dye then it's better than just doing nothing with, for it, with it. And hearts of palms is how he translates it here. Others have other translations. But hearts of palms does have the sanctity of the sabbatical year. If somebody places spices... In a wrapping, when the and puts it in a food, puts it in the dish into the cooked food, in bottle time, and if their taste dissipates, and their taste is not recognizable when you eat the food, then you can do anything you want with it. But if the taste remains uniquely recognizable, then the whole pot of food maintains the sanctity of the Shviz because of the spices of the sabbatical year that were placed in it. And the final paragraph in chapter 5, a nesnin keben vikash, we should not place straw and hay shal Shviz of the sabbatical year, which we er- learned earlier, has a sanctity, l'teich hakar v'leteich hatit, not into a pillow, and not into concrete uh, mud that we build with needs straw. And if he did, it's as if he did away with it, he destroyed it. When the oven was heated with the straw and hay of the sabbatical year, Yutsan then it should first be cooled before one should bake or cook with it. Once the second wave of rain, we learned earlier in the laws of 
fasting that there's the first wave of rain, the second wave of rain that comes in the rainy season after Sukkot. We talk about certain dates. Once the second wave of rain comes in the eighth year, we're allowed to benefit from all the straw and all the hay of the sabbatical year and and use it for kindling because we're now deep into the eighth year, end of chapter 5.